Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. So last week we had left off and we were preparing to do question number 17. So I'm going to read just the applicable verses. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2 and I'm going to read verses 19 through 25. That's uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 19 through 25. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed." For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So if we want to look at question number 17, and I did read the previous verses just so we would have everything hopefully in context, to what have we been called? If we look at question 17. to follow the example that Jesus gave us, right? Right, to follow in the steps of Christ who suffered for us and gave us that example. So then if we look at question number 18, how did Jesus suffer wrongly and bear it patiently? By going to the cross, yes, forgiveness for those all right, he, he went to the cross and he did ask for forgiveness for those who uh, were putting him to death, right? But he committed no sin, and he took it. He committed no sin, so he was wrongfully being punished, and he took that, and no deceit was found in his mouth. It's probably the hardest thing for any of us to do is to be wrongfully accused of Yes, that is extremely difficult. It's, it's very hard to be wrongfully accused of something, and you know you're being wrongfully accused, and to not defend yourself is extremely difficult. That would be very hard. I don't think much of us humans could do that. I don't know if anyone, but Jesus could take all that abuse and take it somewhere. Right, right. Um, the Lord did that and took all of that abuse just for my own self, I don't know. I mean, if you came at me and accused me of something, I think the first thing I would do is dispute your claim. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just human nature, right? That's our normal way. And I know that's it. I know that's the way it's always been. So, um, but yes. It's unimaginable as it is. I mean, from our perspective in America, that there have been 
first and second century who, who like Christ, died for their faith and were killed and, you know, and, and actually emulated this. Burn at the stake in these sort of things, you know. Right. That's hard for us to imagine that some people have risen to that level. Yeah, it is hard for us to imagine, but that has happened in history that people have died similar to uh, the Lord, uh, wrongfully died, just died for their faith because they were following Christ. I mean, I think was it Peter that the the, the story, the way I understand it, is he refused to even be crucified up right side up he you know i don't know if that's true but that was that's kind of the story nonetheless you know paul was beheaded according to what we believe to be true so yes i think i can forget the arguments who will go to that extreme will allow that stuff to happen but i forget about them because i guess because of christ's courage and what he went through and not a complaint not a fuss i mean you know Right. And then I don't think about the other people who had to suffer for the cause also. Right. And Christ didn't, um, you know, he didn't, he suffered, he didn't revile, he didn't complain, he didn't really defend himself. Now, at least Paul, in Paul's example, he did defend himself within the law and in a, in a correct manner. Um, he still lost that wrongfully, but he still lost that, but. So, and I'm sure lots of others defended themselves in a proper manner, but still ended up losing because, as we know, for a while, Christians were fairly routinely condemned to die. So, let's see. Um, is there anything else on that? I want to make sure that we mention the right things. Um, he didn't revile. Well, there was one thing we didn't mention. He uh, he didn't threaten anybody, and he committed himself to God. Jesus committed himself to God, who judges righteously, knowing that no matter what happens here, and this is another example for us, no matter what happens here, we will be judged righteously by the Lord in the end, when it counts. And I guess that's not the end, but... Moving on to the next life. So, let's see. Um, okay, there's not a question 19, and I remember, <laughs> I remember that was a little confusing for me, but I think, you know, it's just a typo. It's a human book, right? So, there's no question 19, but question 20. What good did Jesus accomplish by suffering the abuse he, he took, by suffering such abuse? Well, Isaiah 53 yeah. says that by his wounds we are healed. Right, Isaiah 53 says by his wounds we are healed, and that's that's... Something that it, Peter does mention here, he says, by his stripes. And if you look at that word, that word is a word for wound or such as that. Yes. Did you have something, Matt? Yeah, I was going to say that he bore our sins. He paid the price for our sins. Everything, he accomplished everything as far as we're concerned. Because we're going to have no hope without him. And, and verse 25 seems to have this idea maybe that we're reconciled too, that we're, we were strained, but now we've returned. Right. He bore our sins. 
He bore our sins on, in, in his own body on the tree, taking our punishment. Were you going to say something, Maddie? I don't want to. Okay. Um, but he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, uh, taking our punishment, making it possible for us to die to sin and live for righteousness, to have that relationship with God. Um, and like we said, the stripes, by his stripes you're healed, and that can be translated wounds because that's the same, basically the same word, same, same idea. And then the reconciliation part, like sheep gone astray, we have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So definitely being reconciled to God. Does anybody have anything on that before we move to the next chapter? Or anything on this chapter? Yes. In verse 24, it says that we're dead to sin, that we live for righteousness. Yes. Right. We've died to sins and live for righteousness. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Because that's what that's what we have the opportunity to do in Jesus. That's what we have. That's what we should be doing. <coughs> All right. So, if we look at chapter three, I'm going to kind of skim through. I'm going to go to our. Uh, I'm just going to move down to our first question, which is always about. The main points of the chapter. So let's just hit the main points of the chapter, okay? So this is question one. Our the first uh, the first point is our duties and what <laughs> our duties as wives and husbands. I don't know what I was going to say. That was going to be weird and incorrect. That's in the first seven verses, and then our duties as brethren in verses eight through twelve. And our duties as sufferers for righteousness' sake in verses 13 through 22. So let's read the first seven verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. The first seven verses. Wives, okay. I don't use this word a lot, I guess. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. 
So if we look at chap uh, question two here, what are wives told to be in regards to their husbands? To be submissive. To be? Day and age, that doesn't happen. To be submissive, right? That's right. And I know, um, I know today, in today's society, this, this is probably, a lot of this is kind of frowned upon in the way we read this and, and take this. But, uh, but this is, uh, this is what God is telling us. So, now it says why. Yes, ma'am. It says that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, so that the wives would influence. Right, they're setting an example so that even if their husband was not a believer, not one who was obeying the word, that it would, their conduct would win them over to the Lord. Setting that example would would uh, cause them to be interested, would get their attention. Yes? I said that God established marriage, and he set up and ordained their roles, and how they should be Right. Now, God God set all this up, right? And you'll notice the word in verse 1, likewise. Well, the likewise is referring back to what we just read in the previous chapter in those last verses about being submissive to our, it says masters. You can think of that as being submissive to our boss, whoever is over us in some manner. So we're all submissive or in submission to someone, right? I mean, it's either... At the very top, no matter who you are, you should be at least submitting to God. So, but uh, that's that's assuming you're at the top of everything and you don't have anyone else on this planet that you need to submit to. Personally, I mean, I've always had a boss. I've always got somebody I'm submitting to and doing my work and all that sort of thing. So, but this is just, again, reinforcing that structure that you were talking about as far as who's the head and that sort of thing. I know this is all, again, very unpopular in society today, but uh, it says submitting without sin. So, All right, so if we look at question three, Oh, well, we actually talked about that. What does Peter hope the unbelieving husbands will observe in their wives? Well, we kind of mentioned that. We didn't exactly. So what's exactly, what, did he, what does he mention there in verse 2? Yes? The goal would be salvation, to save their souls. That's the goal. I've seen the example and the actions of a godly woman. Right, that's the goal of seeing that example, but there, um, here he says... <coughs> that they would see their chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now, we don't use that kind of speech nowadays. Um, some translations read this as pure and reverent demeanor, and it means innocent and morally pure and reverent, as in being respectful to God, acknowledging Him as supreme authority in our lives. So, that's... What he was looking for there in verse 2, their chaste conduct and 
I was just trying to explain that in a way we would understand maybe a little better. So if we look at question four, what should not be the focus of their adornment? The way women dress the adornment. I mean, you can you know, put the hair way up and yep. change it up, the big long earrings. You remember the big beehives, uh. you know, and all? <laughs> but yeah, all the, all the fancy outward appearance adornment. Um, and guys can fall into that trap too. You just get kind of vain and you just are very particular about how you do everything. And it's nothing wrong with looking good, but just not putting all your focus on your appearance. So, well, I do believe you spend a lot of time doing your hair. <laughs> yeah, I have to spend a lot of time on my hair, sure. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> but I've thought about doing the Gallagher thing, you know, just... Just grow it long and have the old man long hair that would look funny. No. No. <laughs> See? But, uh, yeah, it's what should our focus be on then? Because I think this can apply to everybody. What should the focus of their adornment be? Question five. The inward person. The inner man, the inward person. It says the hidden person of the heart. And it also says the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And we should all have a gentle and quiet spirit. I don't see anything wrong with that. <coughs> Just, yes. I'm wondering with the second part, focusing on the inward, when we think about some ladies who tend to be loud and Right. If you're focusing on the outward to get attention and and I guess we have to look at it this way and just, you know, admit that when we're focusing a lot of attention on our outward appearance, it is to get attention from other people, whether it be the opposite sex or just other people in general. If we're focusing too much time on that, that is that is a again, some selfish pursuit that we're doing. Yes. Well, there are, there. I mean, there are people in general, there are women that are that way, that are very opinionated and very forceful, and, and there are guys that are that way as well, and, you know, it's very hard to uh, speak to someone like that sometimes, and that can be overbearing, but, yes? I've known a lot of, not a lot, but I've known some godly women 
that uh, have adorned themselves in such a way we said we shouldn't. And then they may be loud too, but they still have that inward uh, part, and it comes across with that personality that they have. Oh, you can be outgoing and loud, and you can look good and and not be you know insult, not be overbearing or not be you know abrasive or you know there's ways to do things yeah there are proper ways you know to do that and to be to be loud and outgoing there's nothing wrong with that per se thank you because that's the way i am most of the time i don't <laughs> mean to be it's just my nature to be outgoing oh there's nothing wrong with that at all yeah that's that's i mean that's that's not what he's getting at here um and, and you have to remember, too, that he's talking here about our relationships with one another, right? So, there's that. Relationships with wives and husbands. Did you have something, Matt? I guess just to fine-tune what I, what I think of anyway, maybe the word diva, right? So, a woman who's just... Yeah, diva. It's all about her and... Yes. Taking taking the whole scene and it's all about you know spotlights on her and she's ordering everyone around that that sort of, that seems to be the, the diva the, <laughs> you know, that we shouldn't be right we should be avoiding being a diva yes and and being like that wanting that spotlight and wanting to order everyone around and do all that that's right that's a good way to put it right. Does anybody have anything else on that before we move on? All right, so question six, right? So what other women so adorned themselves and were submissive to their husbands? In other words, who's the, who's the example that we're given? The example that we were given was Sarah and Abraham. Right. But, uh, you know, there's so many others that you can think of. Right. Sarah was the specific example. Esther's one. There's, um, it says, holy women of God in the past. He kind of put everybody in the same group with that statement. Holy women of God in the past. But I did mention specifically Sarah. And you think of Ruth? Okay, Ruth is good. Esther yeah. was a good example. Esther's good, yeah. And you can go once you start you can just think of all the You can just keep going, right. Yeah. So if we look at question seven then, how are husbands to treat their wives? Like they're the queen. <laughs> like they're the queen. <laughs> well, I didn't see that specifically stated, but Well it doesn't say it quite that way, but I'm sure that's no okay, it's no, no, no. Uh, I mean, you make you make a point in a way because part of the answer is we should be honoring our wives as in valuing them and esteeming them highly as a part of ourselves. As with understanding. Yes, with understanding. And when they say as to the weaker vessel, well, what's the vessel that we're referring to? The body, right? So we're just stating that typically, it's not 100% all the time, but typically the women are physically weaker, okay? 
Now, there are exceptions where you have a six-foot woman who can kick your butt, but that's, you know, that's the exception. That's not normal. <laughs> so, you know. Yes? Well, to make an argument for the queen idea, <laughs> I, I, I guess when I think about the weaker vessel, I'm thinking, like, something you could use in your kitchen and dining room, a vessel, like a, like we have kind of this, this hutch thing that we put the fancy plates in, you know, then we have the regular everyday plates and they just kind of go in the regular cabinet. So, so things that are maybe fancy and are easier to break and they're you know, more valuable, you put in a special place and take special care of. And then the regular stuff, you know, the plastic cups, you know, tumblers, we call them tumblers because you drop them and, yeah. and everything. So I think that, that's that in my mind, that's kind of what it goes to is that, is that we honor our wives as a great treasure. Right, and going with that, I did see where uh, there was at least one translation that said they, they were delicate, so, or that at least in, what's the right word? Sort of uh, made mention of being delicate anyway, as referring to the woman, so. Delicate or fragile, I think. So, all right, so that's how... Husbands should treat their wives, so why should husbands treat their wives so kindly? Well, there's several reasons, but what they want to hear is so that their prayers are not hindered. <laughs> right, there are several reasons, and one, the one that they specifically mention are that their prayers not be hindered, and also that, that kind of uh, hindered, the word there also kind of, uh, it can mean stopped or detained, or blocked, you might think. So, definitely don't want that type of yes. Well, one thing I think we forget sometimes: women wasn't thought very much of in some ways back in those days. The men ruled the house, and the woman was under subjection to him, no matter what. Right, in a lot and of. Was, and I think this is the Lord's way of saying this is the way it's supposed to be. Right, because in a lot of societies back then, the women were basically. Property, chattel, is a is a word that comes to mind. They they were not treated very well or with much respect or honor, and and you can still see that in some societies in the world today. So, uh, and yeah, I think this is God speaking, actually speaking for women and saying, look, you know, treat them better than that. That's not the way to be. So, yes. And a lot of times in these passages about husbands and wives, you know, we, we talked already about how. Our culture doesn't look very kindly on wives be submissive to your husbands. It sort of shocks our culture to read that. Well, this verse seven is probably what shocked that culture, right? Right. The other stuff was just, well, you know, just do the regular things and be respectful in society, this and that. But here's the shocker: husbands, you need to honor your wives. Right, and you need to esteem them and actually give them value and think of them as being, like you said, a treasure. Yes, Pat. Many times we hear. Okay, so he was, she was taken from his rib close to his heart so that he would care about her and love her. 
I hadn't heard that, but that's interesting. Okay. Does anybody have anything else on that before we move on? Yes. Yeah, the whole problem with not being content with who and what you are, I mean, that, I know society really spins that out of control right now, and it's really crazy about women not being happy with their role. Maybe a young girl is not happy with the changes she's going through, so she wants to stop that or be something else, like trying to be a guy. Um, but all that, I mean, all that, unfortunately, comes from something wrong with your heart, where you're just not satisfied with what you are. We can't change what we are. That's There's just no way. We don't have any way to change that. God has made us the way we are, and we can't change that. And I, can't, I can't become a woman, and a woman can't become a man, and all that. Uh, did you have something, Judy? Yes, I, I wanted to add something to that. Um, today, society has made changing from being a boy or and and my grandpa I was I uh, had stopped and I had thought about that at some point and then I remember uh, as a kid you know wishing I was a boy because they had uh, they could go they were a little bit freer to come and go and and uh, and, uh, uh, and we had uh, I had to have mom's permission to have my sister with me and you know that kind of thing. But I remember as growing up, different phases of, of thinking, thinking this and then, and then definitely being very, very feminine and then turn around and climb a tree or something like that, you know, yeah. uh, seriously. So so in today's, that's just, just a comment on today's society and, and the, what, what we're, we're hearing so much about. Right. We know kids go through different phases. We go through phases growing up. Right. And it's really it's really hard. I know right now there's a there's a push to uh do things medically for, for young children who are way too young to even know about such things, much less make a reasonable decision. Um you don't want them to do adult things till they're 18 or 21, but you're going to have them make this life-impacting decision at age 6, 7, 8. That's insane. So, well, children are so, they can be impressed by so many things, and trying to force them into decisions when they're so young it may seem right to them at the time. Right, they don't. They don't understand. They don't Children understand. don't understand. I mean, one day your your child may want to be um, 
a cat all day, or it may want to, uh, whatever your child is, they may want to think they're Superman, but you don't really want to throw them off a building because they can't really fly. Well, it's the same the type of idea. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a whole other thing, and that is a that is kind of a heart issue and an unwillingness to accept reality. And most of these people, talking about the adults, not the children, who are just mainly going through phases. Most of the adults really just need mental and emotional help. Um, I know they would be angry and probably want to string me up for that, but that's just the truth. They they have mental and emotional problems, and they need help, and they need care, and they need love. So, yes, Pat. Was it David who said, uh, from my mother's womb, I was wonderfully made? He, was, he accepted that he was a man. Right, right. And we need to accept what we are, right? I mean, it's. I have to accept that I'm not going to be six foot tall. I can't change that. It's just one of those things. So, yeah, we have to accept the way we're born, the way we are. That's the way God has made us, and that's what we need to do. And I don't think uh, feeding people unrealistic expectations is really helpful to them. All right, so I think we're basically done with our time for today. Next time, uh, next week, we will come back and start with verses 8 through 12, okay? So thank you all for your time and interaction. Appreciate it.